0: Welcome to The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, examining the Word of God, focusing on the Book of Acts Church, seeing how they served the Lord to follow that example. We dig deep into Scripture. We don't water it down. We don't filter it. We take it as it was written in content and context. And in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. We find the church that the world needs right now. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The church is still here. The day of Pentecost is ongoing, and that means the fire of the upper room still burns. If you have any questions... Go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch, one word, lowercase, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do, and we appreciate each and every one of you that do support us, on firefalltalkradio.com, bottom of the page, there are ways to do that. Just pray and give as the Lord leads. We appreciate all of your support, all of your encouragement, Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Quick note, if you listen to us on SoundCloud, you may want to find other places to do so, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or one of the other streaming platforms we use, Blog Talk, Spreaker, or Podbean. And the reason for that is right now we're having a little problem with fraudulent charging of our account. By SoundCloud, and because they're a European company, getting a hold with a live person has become very difficult, and I may have to pursue other ways to get the money back. So, we appreciate the fact that you listen there and that you found us, but you may need to find someplace else to do so. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others in the Porch community, contact us. We will let you know how to do so, what to pray about. We'll put you on the list. If you're not on the email newsletter list, get on it. We care about each and every one of you. So Father, we come to you now in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names. We thank you for how much you love us, even when we are unlovable, even when we were caught up in our sin and lost, you loved us and you desired to save us. We ask that you, Lord, would touch us right now. You have so many children, sons, and daughters that need to feel your presence, that have never felt the presence of their Abba Father. Maybe they've had bad earthly fathers. They need to know you. So we ask that you do that for them. So that they, like us, can boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy shouting, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, trying to get your attention as little children do because that's what we are, your children. We thank you for sending Yeshua, your only begotten Son, to die for us, to pay for our sins. We don't understand a lot of that. It seems pretty barbaric to many, but for those of us that understand your heart and the word, we know that it was necessary. Somebody had to pay the debt that we would never pay And he did so with every drop of blood. So, Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for enduring the cross, the pain, the shame, everything that they did to you, you chose to allow to happen. Your love did that. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior. Thank you for being our teacher, for protecting us and guarding us and guiding us and sending your Holy Spirit to walk with us so that we could understand this Word, so that we could be connected to you in the throne room and not to have to go through human intermediaries anymore. We have direct access to you. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do. We take our thoughts captive right now to the obedience of Messiah, claiming the mind of Messiah, casting down every vain imagination that exalts itself, above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. Holy Spirit, do as you will. Open hearts, open minds, uh, bring things to light. Help me to say what you want me to say. Stop me from saying anything you don't. But this is your time to do as you will. And I just pray all these things as you protect the technology as well from the enemy and all the evil ones. In Yeshua's name, amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted. The information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive; cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Okay, Bibles open. Let's get ready. Now, even though I thought we had finished the in-depth look at the final grade apostasy recent events in the news have inspired me to take it one more level. And this time, the great apostasy is about the Lord. Because apostasy and false teaching deceive the believer and steal their foundational understanding of who the Lord is. So we want to talk about who do you say that he is. But let's back up as a review. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Messiah had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition." who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And since we know there is no temple as yet, he cannot appear. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time? Meaning the Holy Spirit's holding him back. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Hasatan, Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish." because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Apostasy, Holman Bible Dictionary, says, is the act of rebelling against, forsaking or abandoning, or falling away from what one has believed the Greek word apostasia means to stand away from. Like if you were standing next to the Lord and something he said or did or said you needed to believe, you went, oh, no, I can't do that. Like the people who walked away after the uh, parable and the teaching on uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood stepped back. They stepped away from him. That was apostasy. Now, First Timothy 4.1 says, the Spirit says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Apostasy and the false teaching that goes with it are doctrines of demons. Second Peter 2:1 through 3, the destructive doctrines he prophesied. They were. There are also false prophets among the people, even as there are false teachers among you. Here in that church, false teachers among you. Giving you a gospel that is not the truth, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and, nor does, and their destruction does not slumber peter was speaking in a future tense towards what yeshua had predicted that the false teachers would arise with destructive beliefs and lead the people astray in matthew 24 matthew 24:11 24, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many 24:24 24, 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. Signs and wonders always follow the Word. Liars and demons and false teachers do not preach a true word. So signs and wonders that do not follow the Word, you must have the discerning of spirits to know what they are and who they are. Don't be fooled. So that prediction of the false teachers was being fulfilled, and it continues today. And these false teachers are renouncing the Messiah as the resurrected Lord or giving you a different Jesus. So two weeks ago, we said, what's the answer? Well, the answer is the throne and the one who sits on it. Let's be clear, the enemy cannot stop his return. The Lord's return is not based upon the church. He's going to come when he's going to come at the fullness of time. The enemy cannot stop it, but what he can do is he can interfere with your belief in him through deception, through lies, and direct manipulation. Now, this this is what came up in the news that inspired me to hold on one more week on this. In a news story, uh, somebody's uh, promoting, and it's amazing how these stories get disseminated stories that really have no place and you read them they're badly written and and they really have no value but anyway this uh teacher theologian talking about the gospel of barnabas yeah i know you probably haven't heard of it but anyway that barnabas supposedly a disciple of yeshua wrote his own gospel and in this gospel he claimed that yeshua wasn't even crucified because he wasn't the son of god He described him as a prophet whose mission and destiny was to reach heaven by being a good Samaritan and teaching the lessons of Christianity to other disciples. Well, in his story, Judas Iscariot, one of the original 12 apostles, was the one who ended up being crucified. Well, here are the facts. It was written 1,400 years after the time of the biblical Barnabas. And it's a favorite against among Muslims because it teaches a Jesus consistent consistent with the Quran. I'm getting a little excited here, and the Gospel of Barnabas claims, you know, he didn't die on the cross because that's what the Quran says. Historians are unanimous that this gospel was written 15th 16th century A.D. and most likely by Muslims seeking discredit the biblical message of Yeshua. Not the first false gospel. We've got the Gnostic gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Judas, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, false writings written long after the fact, falsely attributed to real people. Another article that came up, a little more disturbing. If you thought that was disturbing, this is even worse. The headline said, Cambridge University Dean Defends Sermon About Jesus' Trans Body and Vaginal Side, side Wound. <laughs> the sermon likening the wound in Yeshua, Jesus' side to a vagina, left congregants uncomfortable and in tears. Joshua Heath, who gave the sermon, said, in Christ, Simultaneously Masculine, and feminine bodies in these works, the writings and the artwork. If the body of Christ, as these works, suggest that the body of all bodies, then his body is a trans body or a transgender body. This Joshua Heath has a doctorate in theology, um, supervised by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. So he's talking about a medieval painting he was doing. This was a Sunday sermon. And he displayed the painting to the congregation and then said the spear wound on the side of Jesus takes a decidedly vaginal appearance and then pointed out how the blood flowed from his side to his groin. Well, this was a traditional Anglican service and many in the congregation became very uncomfortable, including the children. There were children in there. Um, Some shouted heresy. Others uh, ran out. Uh, They wrote letters. One churchgoer wrote the dean and said, I left the service in tears. You offered to speak with me afterwards, but I was too distressed. I am contemptuous of the idea that by cutting a hole in a man through which he can be penetrated, he can become a woman. Franklin Graham joined the chorus of criticisms of Heath's sermon. Of course, you know he's the son of Billy Graham and the president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as well as Samaritan's Purse. He described the sermon as repulsive and shameful, and asserted quote to insinuate that Jesus Christ the only son of god is transgender or to sexualize in any way his sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of mankind is utter heresy andrew williams chief executive of the london based nonprofit christian legal center told fox news digital they're reflecting the culture so in order to be in step with culture they're looking to appease the culture Instead of looking to do what the Bible says and to what, the, to what the church should be saying. This is an example of man creating God in their own image, instead of the other way around. We see this a lot, but I believe we're going to see it more. I believe there's going to be a push more and more to discredit, demean the Lord, to make him more appealing to the fringe elements of the progressive intellectual, liberal society, and it's something that Satan would do. So it made me think about, this is a falling away. Anybody who believes this, anyone who accepts this, um, there are others. I mentioned the singer for um, D.C. Talk, Kevin Max, not believing that Jesus is the Messiah anymore, that God requires it, and others, there are others. He just comes to mind first. So what should the church be saying? Go with me to Matthew 16. We've been here before. I felt led to go back. The scripture has been in my spirit for a couple of weeks. Now I know why. Starting in verse 13, when Yeshua had come into the region of Chesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he looked at them and said, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Of course, he was giving them a little clue by using the Messianic term, Son of Man. But it's an important question. Because it really comes down to this you must know him to answer that question correctly. You can't guess. You have to know him. Remember, the Lord said, Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. There will be many people that are going to come forward and teach that he is the Christ or of the Christ consciousness or all these false things that have come out for 2,000 years of the enemy's way to confuse and deceive people. False messiahs and false prophets will rise up, show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, Matthew 24, 24 and 5. This delusion, this deception that he was talking about then is always present in this fallen world. Remember Second Thessalonians 2. 9-11, through 11, the coming of the lawless one, the son of perdition mentioned before, is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So Peter's answer... It's short, very direct, and right to the point. It's also true. You are Messiah, son of the living God. See, Peter's revelation at that moment, whether he had it before, we don't know. But at that moment, his eyes opened by faith and a gift from the Father above to the revelation of who? Yeshua was. And over and over throughout Scripture, that revelation, according to the Lord himself, comes from the Father. Matthew 11, starting verse 25. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I openly and joyfully acknowledge your great wisdom that you've hidden these things, these spiritual truths, from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants to new believers, to those seeking God's will and purpose. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to reveal him. And right after that, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious ritual that provide no peace, and I will give you rest, refreshing for your souls with salvation. His connection to the Father is vital to understanding who he is, and the invitation to know him can only come from above, from the Father himself. Remember last week we touched on the fact that when I was raised, maybe it's a phrase amongst Catholics, I don't know. Call him the man upstairs. I heard it and I repeated. God was very distant. He was this omnipotent, angry creator There was no intimacy, there was no personal feeling. Otherwise I never would have called him that. But the only way you can know the Lord truthfully is because the Father wants you to. John ten, verses fourteen and fifteen. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. Later on in John 14, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. There is no other way to right relationship with God Almighty except through Jesus of Nazareth. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So Peter offers a confession of faith addressed to Messiah, and it became an act of devotion. As I was working on this today, I realized faith and devotion go hand in hand. They are a byproduct. Of one another. If I believe in Him by faith, if I know Him in my heart, then I become devoted to Him. I just—it's automatic. When you know who He is, you become devoted to Him. That's why the enemy doesn't want that. He'd rather you have religion. He'd rather you have plaster of Paris statues hanging on walls or on shelves or whatever, or paintings. He doesn't want you to know Him personally. He doesn't want intimacy because the true confession of, of Yeshua that Peter made was in direct opposition to the dumb dead idols of the day. When the Lord said, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The thought came to me, and I share with you, The belief in the Lord is not something you do on your own. It's a revealed relationship, and it has its source in heaven. I do not believe that you can find him intellectually. You can start there, but it has to end in the heart. But it has to start from above. Inspiration from God not the learning of philosophers or teachers of theology or or the policies of church statesmen. If it's not spiritually revealed, it's not real in my opinion. The saving faith in Yeshua is a gift from your heavenly Father. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loved me, that in the midst of my demonic haze and confusion and bondage, he slipped through, through the words of Pastor Shelley, and he shattered the walls. He shattered the mirrors. He shattered the glass, and it settled in. The Father for the Son, the Son for the Father. I remember that feeling right now as I'm speaking to you when the lies were broken and the truth flooded in. That's why I'm such an enemy of religion. That's why I'm such an enemy of even my own background and how I was raised because the truth was kept from me. It was kept up on a stage. It was kept behind a pulpit. It was kept behind collars and outfits and oh, no, no, you stay down there, I'm up here. Well, I don't need you to talk to the Lord. I don't need you to have access to God anymore. I have been reconciled to God. If you can grasp that, if you haven't, maybe you have, maybe that's why you're here, but if you can grasp that you don't need to run to prophets, you don't need to run to teachers, you don't need to run to this person, That doesn't matter. You can go directly to the throne itself. You have the Word living and written. You have the Holy Spirit, and you have your Heavenly Father. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, Only be sure as citizens so to conduct yourselves that your manner of life will be worthy of the good news, the gospel of Messiah, so that whether I do come and see you or am absent, I may hear this of you, that you're standing firm in united spirit and purpose, striving side by side and contending with a single mind for the faith of the glad tidings, the gospel. And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, a proof, and a seal to them of their impending destruction. But a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. For you have been granted the privilege of Messiah's sake not only to believe in, to adhere to, to rely on and trust in him, but also to suffer in his behalf. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. For me... The revealing of who Messiah was and is is a distinguishing mark of God's good will towards me. That was the beginning of the revelation that my heavenly Father loved me, regardless of what I've done, all the rules that I'd broken, my behavior. He loved me and wanted wanted me to know who Yeshua was so that he could have relationship with me again. So that I could find true happiness and understand that by him doing that, I was blessed and highly favored. That's why I can't shut up about him. This isn't ritual. This isn't religion. This isn't some form of formality. I've said it for many years You don't have to tell me to pray to him. You you might need to tell me to stop. Shut up, because that's all I want to do. I was telling the Lord today, sitting here taking a break and talking to him and thinking about the world and my background and things in my life and all the things I've been a part of and all the times that it could have been uh, major breakthroughs, whether in acting or, or movies or whatever, that none of that mattered anymore. That all I wanted to do with all the talents he'd given me is to serve him. I want to work for him. I want to walk with him. I don't want to deal with this world. I don't want to deal with this fallen world system. I want to live in the kingdom. I wish maybe when we get to paradise, I can talk to the other disciples. What was it like at the moment? He looked at the Lord and said, You are the Messiah, the Anointed One. And as you well know, I use Messiah. I don't use Christ or Christos. And I get it if you do. I prefer Messiah because it's outside the boundaries of typically defined Christianity. And it's much more personal for me as opposed to a formal title like Christ, which people use and they're comfortable with, and some of it through tradition and and, uh, repetitiveness. But I like intimacy as opposed to religion. But I wonder at that moment when he said, you are the Messiah, did their hearts jump? Did they look at one another and say, did he just say that? So many religions speak of a Messiah. And they, most do so in error. Judaism, Christianity, Islam diverge at the point of Messiah, and they kind of overlap in places, but it's it's different. I think the most cohesive are Judaism and Christianity. Hey, Buddhism speaks of the Rock as Messiah, which skips across the surface, creating ripples in the water. You know, the Buddhists deny a need for a personal Savior. We make our own path to enlightenment. So they acknowledge the concept but deny the person. Pagan beliefs are ever shifting in their streams of sensory-based conclusions that come from humanism, serving humanity with its own preachers and leaps of faith. We see them on TV. We see them on the talk shows. We see the books that sound good, but they're all a lie. Even if you give a nugget of the truth and the rest of it's a lie, it's false, Then we have singularity, man merging with machine to make the perfect creation, thereby saving himself. All of this pulling people away from the Lord. I've even had people say, well, you know, I see a little bit of truth in everything. Well, that's great. I see the truth in the one thing. I don't need a little bit of truth mixed in with a lot of a lie. I need the truth. I need the way, the truth, and the life. Because in this age of expanding progressive liberalism and individualism, if you give me little distinct drops of intellectual perception, they form this giant puddle, this ocean of a collective denial. Each drop denying, inspiring, and inspiring people to deny the Messiah in their own individual way and to their own destruction. Even people who have once claimed to have believed, back away. But instinctively, at least for me, instinctively we know that we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. There's an emptiness. There's a hole in there. There's a wound that needs to be healed. Somebody needs to save me. That's why these superhero movies are so popular. That's why we want these, we want someone to save us. We want to know that someone's out there that's going to fly in at that last moment or or appear out of nowhere to protect us from the evil we know that's out there. It's born into us because of Adam and Eve and what they did. And the enemy does all that they can do to divert you away from the truth who said to them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Messiah. This is Mark chapter 8. And Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days arise again. Now, remember, this wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting a military king and savior to make everything right. He spoke this to them openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, get this picture, Peter rebuking the Lord. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Now, visualize that. Peter pulls him aside privately and rebukes him. But he turns around and looks at his disciples, and then he rebukes Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter wants to stop him. Oh, no, Lord, not you. That's not going to happen for you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Peter understood what Yeshua said, but he didn't accept it. He shared the popular idea of the day that the Messiah was going to be a victorious national ruler. See, the human mind gets in the way of a spiritual truth. And by speaking from his human viewpoint and his human understanding, he became a spokesman for Satan. Be careful not to let your mind get in the way of the truth. John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we know from John 14.6, the Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father. No one gets to the Father except through him. Now, the other thing I find interesting about that section of Matthew about who do you say that I am The Lord promises to preserve and secure his his church from the enemy. Now this revelation has come, and this revelation is going to be the rock of revelation that he builds his church upon and says the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Not against the truth, not against the church that is being built upon it. Right away, he states that the enemy is going to fight that revelation. It's going to attempt to ruin it and overthrow it. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That Greek word for prevail means to overpower or surpass. And Hades, the stronghold of the power of evil or death from which demonic warriors stream forth to attack the church. To steal that revelation from them. The devil's kingdom making war against the Lamb of God. Satan is going to do anything he can through cunning and strength to keep you from knowing the truth, from understanding the truth, from acting on the truth, and from living the truth. And it's going to be a never ending battle. As long as you're on this earth and until the Lord comes back. And it was there. It's there in the teachings. The constant warning is there. I don't I don't fully understand how the church can deny the aspect of spiritual warfare, especially against our beliefs and against our mind. Second Corinthians ten, starting verse two. But I beg you that when I am present. I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah and being ready to punish all disobedience when you're obedience is fulfilled. The battle starts in the mind, the strongholds of the mind, the arguments and, and the things which exalt itself against the knowledge of God, the arguments and the things which cause apostasy on people to fall, fall away and to forget what they were taught in Sunday school or, or or by their parents and to lose their way because all that they're hearing and listening to is a lie. And when Peter makes his confession of faith, the Lord blesses him. Blessed are you, Simon bar And Peter confirms that belief and that blessing on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that Hashem, that God, has made this Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Adonai and Messiah but Lord and Messiah. Quickly, Matthew provides a little play on Greek words in that quotation. You are Peter, you are Petros, a small throwable rock. And on this Petra, the immovable ledge of a rock, I will build my church. The revelation of who he is as Messiah is a part of the solid rock, the foundation his church is built upon. And many have incorrectly believed that the authority of the church therefore resides in Simon Peter, that the church was built upon Simon Peter, which if you think about it, makes absolutely no sense. And that made him the ultimate authority. And then, continued to successors in his name. But when you look at the words Peter and Rock, they're they're interpreting them to mean the same thing, but they don't. They're two different Greek words. Both words mean rock, but Peter means pebble, sliver of rock. Petra is a large foundation stone, and his church is, Is built on a foundation stone. Oh, yes, it is, but that foundation stone is the Lord Himself. It's Yeshua. It's not Simon Peter, the small little pebble who's a part of the equation. No, it's much bigger than that. It's founded on the Lord because the church is eternal in nature, it's not built upon a man. Peter knew that. That's why he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those that are disobedient, he's the stone which the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, brothers and sisters, yet Peter speaking to us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You are a holy temple, a whole building, fitted together, built together for a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And that cornerstone, the foundation of that is the Lord himself. It's not any man. He didn't build his church on Simon Peter. He built it upon the revelation of, that Simon Peter had about who he was. And that revelation was a sliver, was a pebble. It was a part of the bigger picture. So don't be fooled. Again, if you believe that, then you've stepped away. You've stepped back from the truth. And that false teaching becomes apostasy. Now, in the grand scheme of things, If Satan or the kingdom of darkness could prevent your new birth from taking place, don't you think he would? That moment I knelt down at the altar after being demon-possessed and throwing away my family and doing all the things I'd done fully in the grasp of the enemy, if he could have stopped that moment, don't you think he would have? But he couldn't, and he can't. He can't stop the Word of God. He can't stop it from bearing fruit. He can't stop the Holy Spirit from revealing Yeshua as Messiah. He can't stop you from acknowledging him as your Messiah, Savior and Messiah. Only you can do that. Let me say that again. The enemy, not even Satan himself, can stop the Word of God from doing what the Word of God does. He can't stop the Holy Spirit from revealing the Father's truth to you that his only begotten Son, Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And if you've convinced in your mind, you believe in your heart, and you want to speak it out, he can't stop it. See, that's a decision we have to make. A decision that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. It's the decision that we will be judged upon. See, this is why the concept of apostasy is so dangerous. When I read those articles, those were offensive. But I understand what the enemy is doing. He's going after the easy targets. I mean, let's get real. You're in an Anglican Anglican church in England. You're more than likely going to get a receptive audience. I give those people credit for walking out and screaming heresy and filing complaints. Whether that did anything, I don't know. That man should never have been in a pulpit to begin with. Hopefully they left and found a home church or another place that they could be the church. But this decision that you made to make Yeshua Lord of your life, that you're sitting here trying to understand and learn more about, to understand the scriptures, to feed more, to eat more, to get more of the spirit so that the gifts and the fruit can grow and, and, and be given away. Because there's no point of holding on to the fruit. you got to give it away. It has to feed others. It has to feed you. That's what the Spirit's doing in you, and the enemy's going to fight that. You turn on TV, you turn on movies, you turn on Internet, television, it doesn't matter what you do. The constant assailing of who Jesus is, the attacking of our faith, the attacking of the church, be offended, but don't be dissuaded, and don't be surprised. I know there will come a point that even turning the TV on will be fruitless. And if I were living on the beach somewhere in an area that, uh, you know, could just sit outside and listen to the waves and look at the stars and have fellowship with one another, maybe around a fire pit and share the word and sing and praise the Lord, I'm good. I'm good. But you have to make a decision. I'm going to stay, by the way, I'm going to stay on this thing about who he is. I really feel like we need to understand him. Lord, that song, I want to know you more. Deep within my soul, I want to know you. And believe me, I I, I, I believe I know him, but I want to know him more. And I long for the day where I can just sit with him and follow him around and, and ask him questions and interrupt him. Well, maybe he doesn't want me to interrupt him, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, when your kids get around you, we had our grandson here this weekend. Papa, Papa, look at this. Hey, Papa, let me tell you this. Papa, look at that. Oh, Papa, 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 Papa. And, you know, in your flesh, you want to get irritated, but you can't because he just wants to talk to you, he wants to be around you, he wants your attention. That's the way we need to be with the Lord. When I say boldly approach the throne, I mean like a child run towards that throne. But So what happened at Cambridge University is vastly different from the days of C.S. Lewis, who was a professor there. And he was an agnostic, and he wrote this. I've used it before, but I I like it. So I'm going to use it again. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him and him being the Lord. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something else. Lewis added, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But lest not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So it comes down to, in this day of deception, progressive liberalism, false teachings, and everything going on, who do you say that Yeshua, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a myth, a dead prophet, philosopher, social reformer? Or is the arisen Savior, Messiah, Son of the living God? He's all those things to me and more, Messiah, Savior, Master, Teacher, brother, friend. He's everything to me. See, your answer will determine the way that you think and how you live your life here and how you live your life eternally. And my heart's cry for everyone listening is that you would want to know him more deep within your soul. Want to know him, and that when the enemy comes in with the lies, with the false teaching with all the nonsense, with everything the world, Hollywood, the flesh, and the devil puts out there, you won't waver, you won't sway, your heels will be dug in, you'll know the truth, and the truth has set you free so Father, I come to you now I hope I hope this was the message you wanted. I hope it got through to your children, Lord. I hope it has strengthened them and surrounded them with the Word and strengthened them to the inner man and woman so that when these lies are presented to them, they're like little gnats that they can just brush off or just completely ignore. But I want, Lord, to know you more. I want to talk more about you. I want to tell people about you. Set the captives free. Live out Luke 4.18. I want to walk with you. I want to sit with you in the cool of the evening. Jealous that the disciples got to sleep around a campfire with you. I want your children to love you with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their spirit, and everything that is within them. Love you and worship you and be devoted to you. And I pray that they would want to tell others about you. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need help. We need help. We're being bombarded daily. Our minds, everything's hitting us. Let the armor of God be upon us. Let our minds be protected. That we have the mind of Messiah. That we don't waver. We're not distracted. We're not attacked. We know that we know that we know. That your angels are guarding us wingtip to wingtip so that we can go through and touch people and love on them and bring the gospel to them. Lord, I pray. I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been the porch on Firefall Talk Radio.